Welcome to the Journey of a Christian Dad podcast. I'm your host, Dan Lewis. Who is the spiritual leader of your family? Is it you, your pastor, your spouse, the media? Do you know? I did. And sadly, no one was taking responsibility to lead our family. Well, friends, someone needs to take that job, and that man is you. You may not feel qualified, and some days I don't. With the help of God and a community of dads helping each other on their journey, you can be the leader your family deserves. We welcome you to the Journey of the Christian Dad podcast. All right, guys, let's get into it. Let's get into it. We got a Apple podcast review of the week, so I'll just dive right in. So this one is titled No Fluff, and this one is from Great Podcast is the guy's name who sent this one in. So thank you, Great Podcast. Appreciate it. So no fluff. This podcast is for all dads looking to be engaged, empowered, and strengthen their journey in fatherhood. Christian dads need to be equipped to be the best dads, husbands they can be. And this podcast is where they can find it. Great job, Dan. Keep it up. So thank you. Great podcast. Appreciate the Apple podcast review of the week. Pretty cool. So this week we're blessed to have a special guest with us every week. We've got a special guest with us, but I'm super excited to have Jay Millar with us this week. Jay has got a my virtual dad is the program that he has. He's a native of Colorado, so I love the mountains. And he's been happily married for 25 years. They've got three boys, 24, 22, and 20. And he adds in and one daughter-in-law. So like I think that is so cool to include your daughter-in-law as how you picture your personal family. So that's that's awesome. I know you do a lot of different things, but Let's start off with kind of where you came from. How was your upbringing and everything? So guys get a, get a feel for where you came from. Hey, Dan, thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here. I've uh, been listening to your podcast for a while and just, uh, I agree with the review that you just shared. It's no fluff. It's, uh, hey, we're some practical things that can help Christian dads along their journey and we all need help and we shouldn't be embarrassed to ask for help. I came from a background, so I'm a Colorado native, as you mentioned, and I, I grew up in a home with domestic violence and alcoholism. Uh, my parents divorced when I was age 10 and uh, a pivotal moment. My, my mom remarried really quickly after that. And she married another guy that was younger. I can absolutely see why she got remarried. He had a really tender heart. He was sweet. He was the exact opposite of my mom, kind of from the emotional sense. But uh, he was on his own journey as well. And uh, he was more like a, a stepbrother or an uncle. He was 12 years younger than my mom. So he was a good guy, but uh, didn't didn't pour into my life, didn't offer any advice. And then when I was in my early 20s, and this is the days before YouTube, Dan, yeah, so yeah. I'm really glad I saw this clip. And, and actually, I don't think I've been able to find it out there on YouTube. I've read it. Lou Holtz, who was then head football coach at the University of Notre Dame, said something that changed my life. He said, there's only three things that will change you from where you're at today to where you're going to be five years from now. And I internalized that to mean I can change my life and not just five years, but my, my entire trajectory of life. And he said, it's the, the, the only three things that will change are the books you read, the people you meet, and the dreams you dream. And he borrowed that from another motivational speaker, Charlie Tremendous Jones, back in the 60s. So, I mean, everybody borrows stuff from everybody else. But I heard that, and I internalized that to mean, okay, here I am in my early 20s. I don't know how to do life. Thanks to my, my mom and my grandmother, I loved God. And I knew I was, I felt I was built special. I had this really tender uh, relationship and desire for God. I knew I was special. I knew, you know, God had a plan for my life uh, to prosper me and not to harm me, to give me hope in a future. Jeremiah 29, 11. I've just loved that verse my, my entire life. But I was like, I have no idea. I don't know what a relationship looks like. I don't know how to run my money and my finances. I don't know how to uh, be a good husband, father, provider. I don't know how to run a career. I was the first member of my family to go, both my direct family to go through college. Uh, so I felt I was just, you know, walking through a forest with a machete <laughs> trying to figure things out. And uh, so I've had a heart of trying to, trying to learn and seeking mentors. Never had like one mentor that I sat down with. And uh, I've had some friends that I've been friends with for 30 years who've, who've been consistent, but I've, I've created this tapestry of mentors, of people to, to speak into my life and to give me advice and guidance and and a lot of it's to say me too as well. Hey, I'm struggling too, Jay. You're not the only one. That's probably the biggest relief I've gotten from my mentorships is you are not alone, buddy. Welcome to the club, you know, because I, I, I was kind of ashamed that I didn't know how all this worked. And I kind of hid sometimes and became very passive. 
So I've created mentors and read books that have stood the test of time. There's so much great wisdom out there. I mean, the Bible being a number one, um, all that wisdom that's in there. And then people write books that kind of explain the Bible, you know, like Dave Ramsey's uh, baby stuff, you know, his uh, financial you know, total money makeover, right? That's all biblically based. He's just helping interpret it, bring it to life, make it actionable. And so I've been drawn to books like that my entire life as well. So just created this virtual dad. That's why I call my program, My Virtual Dad, because I think we all need to, even if you have a great father who speaks into your life, we all have, you know, friends, brothers, uncles, cousins, grandparents who speak into our life. And we all do build our own virtual dad, whether we're aware of it or not. So you, you brought up something I'd like to go back to Jeremiah 29, 11. Like that one's a really, really powerful one. And a lot of guys, including myself, have battled issues with just worth and worthiness. So how can we move into 2911 and feel like you felt that belief that God wants to prosper us? That's a great question, Dan. And I, I struggled with that. I'm, I'm 54 right now. I think I... I, I view my personality as a pie chart and the, and the world, 90% of the world, my neighbors, my family, my friends thought, Hey, Jay is driven. He's, he's, he's going after it. He's, uh, he's capable. He's going to be able to create a successful life. But there was that 10% of me that said, I'm not worthy. Right. I mean, yeah. I, my dad thought drinking beer was more important than being with his son. I mean, that's, that was the dialogue that went through my head. I've reframed that to say, I mean, my dad was ill. He was, he, he had an illness. He wasn't of right mind. I never knew my best dad. I didn't, but, uh, and I'm, I'm peaceful with it. I've, I've forgiven him. He's passed 25 years ago. My, my father has, but I, I went to this retreat, uh, a men's retreat here in Colorado. It's called the crucible project, probably the, and, and there's these, the, they, they host these retreats throughout the country. I think most of the country, at least in the Midwest and Texas and Illinois, and a lot of it is about worth. It's about wrestling with God. You know, uh, Jacob wrestling with God uh, is kind of a, a metaphor that's used. And I think what really popped with me at that session, and I was, I was 50 years old when this happened, so about five years ago, every man has a wound. I had a dad that didn't show up, who I didn't think cared. I met so many other men who had a dad that was overwhelming in a sense that they could never live up to his expectations, just kind of had this pressure cooker kind of feel. I had the opposite. I had no pressure cooker. I had no, I had all the freedoms and it felt I wanted boundaries, but I never got any boundaries. I never got any advice, but these other, these other guys who they could never live up to their father's expectations. They were never good enough. They were never man enough. And that, that, that makes me really tender. That makes me really sad. There's others who just so many stories, men who've been molested and they felt powerless because, you know, they, or they didn't stand up. I, I, I have a little bit of shame. I didn't stand up more for my mom. I let myself off the mat because I didn't really understand what was going on. I think I was too young. My, my brother, who was four years older, stepped in and intervened. The last night my father lived at our house, my, my, my brother stepped in, said, no more. We're drawing the line here. This is it. You're out. And he, he <laughs> literally wrestled him to the ground until the police came and said, you're not wow. going to do this to my mom anymore. Right. And my brother's my hero. He says, I, I say he kind of, he saved my life. He says, I saved his life because I brought him to faith uh, in a new way. <laughs> so we, you know, my brother's one of my heroes. What I learned at that retreat, after hearing everybody has a story and everybody felt that they were unworthy, it just popped in my head, Dan, like, gosh, darn it, guys, come on. You know, God loves us. He created us special. He knows how many hairs we have in our head. He created us unique. There's never going to be anybody like Dan Luigs, uh, there's never been anybody created before like you, and there will never be anybody created like you ever again in the history of the world. That's a powerful feeling. So we got to listen to God, our father, instead of what we're hearing from society and from our families of we're not enough. I think men and women struggle with this uh, as well. This is not universal to men. But, correct, uh, or correct. it is universal to men, but it also in women have an ungodly standard or an unbelievable standard that they're held to in society as well. So we all battle with it and we all feel unworthy. So my thought was, let's all wake up. We can do this. You know, God says that we're valuable. He made us valuable. Let's listen to that voice instead of the earthly voices. Absolutely. So how I worked through that was just one, recognizing that it was a problem. This was a limiting belief and it was going to keep me where I was. And I was going to 
lack success or at least the success I could have if I stepped into it. And where I started with it was, uh, I'll say power statements. It sounds more manly than saying affirmations. So I wrote a power statement down that was very simple. It just says, I am worthy. And every morning I'd say, I am worthy. And I've said this on a number of podcasts because I truly believe it's very a, a critical step if you're stuck in that unworthy mindset or you get into a new level of success and you feel like you don't deserve it or you shouldn't be there. And every day I'd start off with, I am worthy. And then a little while later, started off with, not only am I am worthy, but I am worthy of God's love. And then the next thing that came up that I didn't feel worthy of, just directly attacking it with, I am worthy. And then sometimes adding something to the backside of it because of this, that, or the other, or I do this, or Jeremiah 29, 11, whatever it was, but I'd have some evidence based to refute the lie that now looking back, I'm like, yeah, Satan kind of plants those lies in our head and he's crafty and clever and finds one that works. And the worthiness issue is something I run into over and over and over again with people. Uh, One of the guys that was on the podcast before, he's a hall of fame volleyball player. And he's like, I won the national championship. Dad, am I good enough yet? Am I good enough yet? Dad wasn't at, uh, at the game. He's like, why the heck wasn't my dad here at this game? He was so frustrated, but so he, that pushes him to excel in many areas, but he's still seeking that validation from his dad. So that worthiness issue is a big, big thing. Yeah. Those stories like the volleyball player, I know, I know a few pro athletes and they are driven in the same way. They love their dad, but there's something missing there. They're not getting that effort, you know, that validation from them. Yeah, it's sad. And we all do seek that. We all have wounds from it. Like I said, I have wound from absence. Others have wound from, and, and that's the volleyball story, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you, uh, you mentioned Charlie Tremendous Jones earlier. So his daughter was introduced to me and Tracy introduced me to Nikita Koloff, the NWA tag team wrestling champion from back in the day. And he fought against Ric Flair and stuff. And he mentioned his father also had 25 years of absence from him. He was an, he was a total alcoholic. And when I asked him about that, he goes, man, I'm so blessed. I really dodged a bullet there. Yeah. What do you mean? He goes, well, I would have learned how to be an alcoholic if I'd have seen my dad pounding them down every night. He goes, I'm, I'm really glad that that didn't happen. I didn't become an alcoholic. <laughs> like that's- there are, there are times when, yeah, I'm removing a dad. I'm, and my mom was in a toxic relationship, of course, with physical abuse. She had to get out of that relationship. It was very scary. It was in the 70s. She didn't have her name on the bank account back then, right? It was, that was the way the world ran. She didn't have credit. She didn't have a job. She didn't have a career. And she had to get out of that. So it was a very scary financial situation for her and to take care of us three kids and to protect us. Yeah, we stumbled into worthiness. What's another topic where guys just struggle with where they can use some help? Well, I think there's three things that guys really struggle with, and it's worthiness. It's, uh, it's competence and it's, uh, power. And again, I've, as, as I've talked to men and I've, I've led men's groups for 25, 30 years, I've, I've talked to a lot of men now that I'm rolling, uh, rolling out my virtual dad and really seeking to help uh, mentor men and be a part of the solution. I know there's many solutions to this problem, but those are the three things that men struggle with. And, uh, there's actually a, a deep psychological study that, that went on and said, just like the macronutrients of, you know, protein, carbohydrates and um, fat. Yeah. yeah. Those are the three ma- major macronutrients. Yeah. It's, it's, you do feel worthy. Uh, do you feel competent and, and do you feel powerful? And uh, again, all of our core issues, I think roll, roll back to those three things. If, if, if our, if, uh, if somebody didn't show up in our life, if, you know, we felt if we were abandoned in some way, we don't feel worthy. That, that's, that's one of the attributes, right? Competence, I think, is probably the biggest thing that men, we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be embarrassed. And that is a big cause of challenge for us because that makes it so that we don't reach out for help, right? And this is a joke that predates smartphones from, you know, is, is you hear about the guy that stopped and asked for directions while he was driving his car? <laughs> 
the, the punchline is it's a fictional book because it never happens, right? And that's right. a broad brush thing about men, but men really, and that's why we need to seek kind of small groups, uh, a trusted set of men that we that, that we can rely on because we need to be able to go in and be vulnerable and say, look, I'm I'm struggling with this or I'm struggling with that. You've you've had so many great topics on on your podcast, right? Is it is it finances? Is it pornography? Is it you know, is it some substances that uh, that are drawing you down a dark path? Is it a friend uh, or maybe some relationships that uh, aren't serving you well, right? All of those things, but we want to be competent and we're afraid to to ask for help. And then the powerlessness. I mean, a lot of times, again, I, me- I mentioned the things that breaks my heart is like the molestation kind of uh, stories. So many men and so many men don't know that their friends have gone through things like that. That's a powerless statement. You know, me not stepping up for my mom. Again, I've let myself off the mat with that when I was too young and I really didn't understand what was going on. I know so many men who are in uh, domestic violence situations. And to this day, they're, they're just beat themselves up that they didn't step in and, and help and stop it sooner. So that's a powerlessness one. So those are the three. So let's, let's jump to power for a second. So we had a podcast a while back, quite a long time ago. Now, Money, Sex, and Power were the title of that one. Let's talk about the power side of this a little bit. And what's the, what are the issues there? I, like I said, I think I mentioned a couple of them. If, if, if you're in a situation, uh, you know, with a relationship where you're not, you're, you're not building the boundaries and you feel like you're being walked over, uh, you know, it can be with your own family. It can be, it could be with a job, you know, maybe, maybe a job is, uh, is demanding so much of you and you feel the fear of, Hey, if I don't, if I don't respond to this, I'm going to lose my job and I'm not going to be able to provide for my family and things like that. Uh, that's a common power issue. You know, you've got to, you got to figure out how to build those boundaries and build a, build a career that's, that, that allows you to have some balance those are the main ones that I see. And there's, there's codependency as, as well. I mean, I, I recently did another podcast uh, with single moms and one of the pieces of advice that they gave that really opened my eyes was, Hey, single mom, don't have your son fill the, the need that a husband normally would. Right. And that was really interesting to me that, uh, you know, a young boy, and I've, I've seen some stories and some movies and some, some shows where, yeah, the, the boy feels there's, there's this codependency in this relationship that's really unhealthy and it, and they are powerless. They, they feel powerless to stop it because, Hey, I just want to, I want to take care of my mom. If I don't, I'm not a good, good dude. Right. And so they feel like they're kind of forced down this path. And, uh, in the end, they, you know, when they wake up, they understand it's, it's just not right. Yes. Yes. When I think power, I think about pride and like work and like showing that uh, you have what it takes and, and being confident. Is that what you're talking about? So yes, that sounds wonderful. (laughs) And then the other version of pride that boastful and, and so much pride that, you know, you're, you're the greatest and um, that power that comes with, uh, you know, you get some power, and then you go to get more power and you, you know, are constantly trying to work up that ladder just for self-satisfaction's sake and uh, feeling, feeling like you're the king or the conqueror or those kind of things. And so when I hear power, that's one of my first thoughts is, huh, I wonder if pride is coming after this and if in a, in a negative, bad way, and then they don't see what's coming. They don't see what's next where, guys can tend to roll over relationships and roll over people to get to the end means. And so when I, when I heard you say power, I immediately thought about the other aspect of it, of uh, having power, however, wielding it in a very negative way. Yeah. I think you bring a good point there. And there are, uh, I, I think it's totally egocentric right there. You have an ego that says, I am my own God. I'm yes. not trying to be dramatic, but I've got it all figured out. I don't need help. I can do what I want. I can go navigate my career and yeah, <laughs> grow, grow my career and, and step on people and, and, you know, make, make success that way. Uh, but there's going to be some, there's going to be some carnage along the way. Right. But I don't care because I'm going to get what I want. Right. And the world is littered with, with men like that. And I didn't bring that up because I think 
well, those folks like that, I could talk to them all day and they would just say, great, I, I got it all figured out. I don't need to have a conversation with you. Right. So men, if, if you just heard that and you thought, I don't need to have a conversation with anybody, certainly not Jay, uh, stop for a second. We may be talking to you. <laughs> we may be talking to you right now. Uh, certainly there's a lot more on the other side as well, but that pride thing is something that I see guys trip over all the time. Have you got any mechanisms or any thoughts of how to recognize it? So for that guy that's blind to what he's doing in that way, is there something they can do to help recognize or have you seen other guys do something or have something in their lives that help them recognize that? Uh, really the, the main tool uh, that, that I've used talking to, I mean, in my own self-talk and talking to others, I had a, I had a group of men who was doing a pre-marriage uh, quick start program last night. And it's just so much fun talking to like there's 10 guys that are about to get married and um, just did this visual of, hey, when you're standing there during the ceremony and you're holding hands and they say, you know, the, the words come across, you know, in, in good times and in bad in sickness and in health for richer or for poorer, right? I said, if you are thinking that everything is going to be great and you're not going to have, you're only going to have good times and, and statistically you're in a very happy spot. The, the years around pre-marriage and the first year after marriage, they've done studies. Those are very happy times for, for both the, the husband and the wife, right? But you've got to understand there's going to be, it's not a matter of if, there's going to be battles along the way uh, for for work, for health, for finances, for your your friends, everything. There's going to be good times and bad. You just got to be prepared for those things. So try to draw back and say, it's not all going to be great forever. And when that moment happens, A, don't feel ashamed. I find too many men who think I'm not a good husband, father, provider because I'm having trouble in my marriage. And I think that's just ridiculous, Dan. I mean, we spend four years going to college to learn something, or we go to a vocational or trade school to learn a profession. We need to get certified, right? So many of us don't have guidance about how to be a good husband, father, provider. Why in the world would we think it should all be perfect without putting in some intentionality and some work to it, right? So I just try to reframe it and say, look, there's going to be bad times. Just And don't be ashamed when that happens. Raise your hand, talk to a buddy, talk to a friend, talk to your father, uncle, grandfather, whoever, and let them know that you're struggling with it. And that's usually what breaks down the ego barrier because they don't have to feel like they're puffed up and they've got it all figured out. Absolutely. So you mentioned not asking for directions. Guys, this is one where we should ask for directions. Two, we should have those guys in our life. We should have that wise counsel in our life. So if you think, you know, hey, I got this issue going on. Think about who the five, 10 people that you can reach out to are. And you go, huh, I don't have one. Well, go get one. Go get you've one. Got, you've got to cultivate a group of friends, uh, your, uh, your 2 a.m. friends, I call them, right? Yeah. Something yeah. bad happens, who are you going to call? And wise counsel. Yes. So not just a friend, but wise. You might have your 2 a.m. friends, which will come get you, but they might not be the ones to help solve your problem. <laughs> I know a couple of groups of, uh, of guys, they're 30 somethings in the early thirties. Uh, they're, they're still with, uh, their, their high school friends. Yeah. And that's not necessarily bad. I have, I, I went to, I went to grab a, uh, a beer with, uh, three of my dear high school friends. We see each other a couple of times a year. We stay in contact, we text, we, we support and love uh, one another. Uh, but this other group, they haven't matured at all. It's like, they're sitting around, partying every weekend. And I call them yes men, right? Oh, is that a good idea? Yeah. You know, there's no challenging. There's no, Hey, watch out. You're about to step in a bear trap. There's no wise counsel. It's like, yeah, let's just keep going. Let's, let's just keep the party rolling. And they've been doing it for a decade, but they're in great danger right now. You brought up the pre-marriage um, <clears throat> meetings that you do. So that led me to think I've got an interesting one and I've got some homework for myself to do today. So this is timely. Picture yourself getting ready to say a prayer before the meal at the, at the wedding. So 300 adults in a room, you've got the microphone. What are some things or 
you know, off the top of your head, what might be a prayer before the meal at a wedding? Man, that's a, that's a great question. I actually got a, uh, I had the, uh, the, the blessing and the opportunity to do that for my son and, and his wife. He got married, uh, June of 20. And, uh, I was, uh, I'm getting, uh, <laughs> getting emotional right now. Uh, my son and his, uh, now my now daughter-in-law asked me to do the ceremony. So I actually got to marry them. And then, um, uh, I asked my brother to say the blessing because I had, I had so much going on, but, uh, <laughs> you know, the, what I would say is, Hey, you know, community, um, and any commitment you have to make in front of hundreds of other people, you know, is a serious commitment. You know, that that's my joke, right? This is, this is not for the faint of heart. You're making a big commitment here, but, uh, Hey, you know, uh, here's a couple, uh, love on them, uh, be, uh, guide them along their journey. They may come to you at, at different times with different needs. It, it's all part of the body of Christ. Uh, help, you know, uh, be aware of this couple, help this couple and, you know, love on them. But you need to offer two things. You need to offer grace because they're not going to have it perfect. And don't be judgmental. You, you might not like how they're raising their kids. They might not do it just like you did. They might not, you know, run their finances. They may have different priorities than you. Um, have grace with them, but also speak truth into their life because they need a community like this. Of, and everybody in this room wants what's best for this couple. So be active. Don't walk out of here and think you'll never be a part of this again. You were invited here because you're special and you're part of their, uh, their inner circle. And uh, just be on guard and be ready to help this this couple as they continue their journey their journey throughout life. Cool, thank you. I, I certainly took some notes. <laughs> I certainly took some notes. So this would be the first time that I've one been asked, and first time that I've said a prayer in front of a a big group of people before the wedding meal. It's like really really cool. So I'm so excited about it. When when I got asked, I was practically in tears like it was so cool yeah yeah that's uh that's that's an honor uh congratulations that's wonderful so my buddy says uh no big deal you know just like when me and you go to lunch like you always say a prayer at lunch like just say that prayer whatever that is like don't make a big thing about it i'm like i, I, I wouldn't if you'd have just called on me and said come on up and say the prayer <laughs> I know, I know you'll do a great job. You had that on your Facebook page. Uh, who's going to say the, uh, the blessing at uh, um, a holiday meal at, yeah. at the house, right? Yes. And uh, that's usually me. Um, and uh, I, I got a comment just recently of, Jay, that sounded like you were just having a conversation with God. <laughs> Spoiler alert. Yeah. I was. Those are the best ones. Yes. You know? Yes. My I, I joke I, in my twenties. I used to play uh, pray uh, King James version, right? I J art thou thankful <laughs> for thy blessings, right? It took me a long time just to have a conversation with God. I wanted to be like formal, and uh, one day, you know, it's the Abba Father kind of story, like yeah, Daddy, you know, Daddy, I just love you, and thanks for loving me, right? And I heard a sermon probably around 30 years old. And, uh, that really clicked for me that I, I didn't need to go to the throne with, uh, all my ducks in a row and the perfect, uh, syntax on all my words. Can you expand on that just a bit? Cause I think that's one where guys get hung up also with the Abba father. Like, what does that mean to you when you hear Abba father or just Abba? Well, kind of like I said, with worthiness, it's the it's the same concept of God just loves us and he made us special. And think about if, if you are and I know this is the journey of a Christian dad, there might be some people who don't have children yet. But it, when you have a child, you know, and when they run into your arms, you know, uh, not many of us are commuting anymore. I used to get home and the kids would run out and say, Dad, you know, and just just be so excited to uh, to see me um, after coming home or coming home from a trip. Uh, that's just the joy and the feeling I get in my heart when I, when I pray, when I read the Bible, I'm like, you know, I don't listen to the earthly things, but God, God wants me to have joy and he wants me to have love, uh, with our relationship that we have with each other. 
And I told you I learned that in prayer, but I also learned it in journaling probably a decade after I learned it in prayer because I used to try to journal in kind of a formal thing, like I was performing for somebody. And I'm like, what the heck am I doing? And I read this, uh, this book, uh, Julia Cameron. She's this teacher in, I think, New York. She, she, she teaches writing classes and she calls it morning pages. And her technique of morning pages is just like vomit out whatever's in your head just to get it out. And it doesn't matter. Nobody's going to read it, <laughs> you know, only you. And it's just to get all these things knocking around your head, out of your head, so that you can be more productive in life and not just keep spinning on the same idea where you're probably beating yourself up over something. So prayer and journaling for me um, are just things that I find relief and joy in now because, hey, God, I know you want what's best for me. I'm super sorry. Uh, a, I'm grateful you've given me everything that I love, everything that I adore, everything that I could never go to a store and buy, uh, my, my, my body, my talents, my health, my uh, didn't create my wife. She's a gift from God to me. My children, you could joke that I was participative in creating my children, but you know, that's a miracle. Um, you know, the talents where I was born, my friends, everything that I really adore, I can't buy. And it was a gift from God. That's why I'm a faithful man, because I have to thank somebody for these wonderful gifts that I've been given. And I start there and then I say, I'm really sorry. I am such, I'm a blind fool. There's, I have blind spots. I don't know where I'm making mistakes. God help illuminate my heart. God uh, teach me uh, where I'm making mistakes. Help me to find the re right relationships, the right words, the right job. You know, everything in my life, I, I turn over to you. And then, um, and then I go from there. So that's, that's a lot how I journal and it's a lot how I pray. Do you have a set time for that? Right now, uh, it, it ebbs and the, it, it flows. Um, right now, I get up and I uh, I read uh, a chapter. I'm going through. I just finished John, and I'm I'm almost through Acts now, and uh, I'll go on to Romans after that. I just try to read a chapter just to get some good uh, nutrition. So I get up. Um, I sit down and I read just a chapter. It takes like five minutes. And then I say that prayer uh, first thing in the day. And that really gets me in the right mindset. I'm not perfect at it, Dan. I mean, there's times where I've had to get up early and, you know, used to travel a lot and I'd be doing that in the car on the way to the airport. Right. Um, or on the, on the airplane itself, you know, things like that. So I like doing it first thing in the morning. I feel best when I do that. Yes. hundred percent. So consistency, we've got a lot of control over our mornings. Some mornings we're on the red eye flight at 4 a.m. and less control of consistency. However, you know, grab it on the flight or something else. So the days where it doesn't fit at exactly the time that you normally do it, no big deal. Give yourself some grace. Uh, but I know some guys that have beat themselves up over, I broke my string of 140 days. You know, who cares? Start a new streak. So exactly. glad you brought that up. We haven't talked confidence uh, or competence whichever way you want to look at that. Any tips on gaining that? Gaining uh, more competence in life? Um, yes. You know, I mean, that's, that's really why I've, I've, I've put together some of the, uh, the, the content that I have and the work that I have is because I think men want to feel more competent just about being a husband, father, provider. So I'm not talking about competence at work. You can do training, you can find mentors with your work, and you can you can grow your career that way. I'm talking about competence at home. And I, I think there's some fundamental things. In the pre-marriage class, we talk about the four things that are most likely to derail or cause friction in a marriage. And the four things are finances. It's the biggest marital uh, friction point. Uh, finances, there's a uh, family. Do you want a family? When do you want a family? How big do you want your family? Are you going to go through adoption or, you know, things like that? Uh, the next thing is uh, kind of building boundaries with the in-laws. This is kind of the leave and the cleave. You know, we are, <laughs> we're submitting to each other right now. We're not submitting to our parents anymore. We're submitting to each other and creating this life together. And there's a lot of boundary issues there. Uh, that's the third one. And the last one is, is faith, right? Do you agree how what your faith is and how important it is and what priority it is in your life? Uh, that's a big thing. Uh, so those are the things that we talk about. And what we, you know, it's, a, it's just a small example of growing confidence with these men because they're walking into marriage. I remember after I proposed to my wife, and actually I hiccuped. I had the world's worst proposal, first of all. 
And she saw, you know, when you kind of blink or pause during a proposal, it doesn't make your spouse, your future spouse feel good. And right. I wounded, I wounded her, Dan. And here's how Absolutely. I wounded her. Because I said, hey, you know, I, wa- I want to get married, right? And I kind of paused like that, right? It's not <laughs> like, I want to get married, right? And we've worked through it. We laugh about it now. It's part of our story. So we've turned that, that negative into a positive. But at that moment, I'm thinking, again, I don't know what a good relationship looks like. I don't know how to build a career. I don't know how to run finances. I was $14,000 in debt the day I proposed to her. I was like, I just, you're a great gal. You're the woman for me. You're the one that God brought to my, uh, brought you, God brought us together. I don't want to screw this up. Yes. And I was so concerned about me. So in this pre-marriage class, just talking about those four things, you just try to raise the confidence level and the competence level of saying, hey, I know if we have a conversation about finance, if we understand who we are, if we get on the same game plan, and, and I'm not creating any new content, just like Lou Holtz didn't, he borrowed from Charlie Tremendous Jones. I've got a few resources. Dave Ramsey is one of them. Ramit Sethi is another one. They've got great systems and programs where they can create. The thing I love about Dave Ramsey is he talks a lot about the emotional side. You know, there's a nerd and a free spirit, right? Yes. I think that's one of the best marital conversations. My wife is the nerd. I'm the free spirit, but we're both directionally the same. We know we want to save. We know we want to tithe. We know we want to do all of these things. I just don't need to know the penny, you know, down to the penny on the spreadsheet. I don't care. I know we're directionally going the right way, but my wife loves to make sure that everything is accounted for. And, and we're a great team in that way. But there can be a lot of friction if you're thinking, man, I want to balance the, the checkbook down to the penny and my spouse doesn't. People can get frustrated with that. Yes. And you don't need to, probably. Right. Yeah. Neither one of us do. <laughs> so yeah, Some people do. Example. Some people so, have that innate, so walk- like your wife absolute need like it's a it's a baked into her and that that's okay (laughs) that is okay it's wonderful i'm glad she does it i used to get stressed out about it so you mentioned that your wife is a gift you view your wife as a gift from god absolutely sounds wonderful sounds like a hallmark card have you ever had a spot in your marriage where you didn't feel that way i can honestly say no i mean we've had some We've had challenges. We've had health challenges. We've had, uh, you know, uh, financial uh, challenges trying to trying to make the ends meet. You know, over the years, we've had uh, relationships. We went to counseling three months after we got married, and it all went back to the worthiness thing. Uh, she was working. She had a big event. She used to be a, a plan these 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 massive events for the company that she worked for. She got married. This event happened to be in Hawaii. It was a two week long event. You know, guests you know, uh, planning guest arrivals and, and, and activities and dinners and, and all this stuff. She was in charge of all of that tremendous amount of, pre- and she was part of a team, but she was a leader of this team. And I was going to come out the last few days and then we we're going to spend, you know, like a week in Hawaii together. Dan, it was, I'm embarrassed to say it was a terrible week because she was still in work mode and I didn't know it. I couldn't put the words to it at that time, but it triggered me and I felt unworthy. Yeah, just like yeah. I felt with my dad. And it took me about 20 years to be able to articulate that. We thought it was a boundary issue with me kind of leaving my family and, and, and listening to you know, some input from, from, from others in my family and things like that. That's what we thought the core issue was. But yeah, I, I joke, we, we went to marriage counseling three, three months after we got married because I was just sulking and I, I went and I kind of hid and I became passive and I'm like, I'm not, I'm not worthy. And, um, I didn't handle things right. And I didn't have the vocabulary to be able to articulate that. How did you transition from not going to wedding counseling to going to what, to actually going like who scheduled the appointment and how'd you flip the switch and how did both of you say, yeah, we'll go. <laughs> well, we'd done some good pre-marriage work. We'd, we'd taken some classes and we, uh, through the, the, the church where we got married. And so we had, you know, weeks and weeks of conversations of, uh, going through different top, different topics, you know, facilitators helping us through. I'd done some counseling in the past um, and based, based on mm-hmm. my past, you know, I, I learned about, you know, adult children of alcoholics and uh, figured out I wasn't alone 
in uh, in my journey there. And a lot of families face this and, you know, some tools and techniques about how to deal with that. So I was comfortable and I'd gone through counseling before. I viewed that as a tool in the toolbox. Not everybody does. There's a lot of people who think, man, if I got to go to see somebody, uh, a counselor, I'm weak. I'm, I'm not capable. It goes back to that incompetence thing. And I would say, hey, we go to the gym to work on, you know, being fit. We, we, we get classes on, you know, how to uh, run Excel or, you know, I'm trying to make up examples here. Why wouldn't we think we need to go and talk to somebody and help, again, get the right vocabulary for the words uh, that are going through our mind instead of beating, beating ourselves up all the time? So I was comfortable with it and uh, I set it up and my wife and I went and went and sat down and, uh, you know, went, I think it was a month of, uh, you know, having some discussions and we worked through it and, you know, continued on our way. That's great. That's such an easy one to, to grasp. You know, your wife's in the mindset of working and plugging away and frustration and busyness and everything else. And you're like, it's Hawaii with my wife vacation. (laughs) I could see how there could be some uh, uh, resentment and and uh, different spot, different mindsets that you're in. The worst part, Dan, was on the flight out there. I was like, she's she's still got a few more days to cross the finish line here. I want to respect her work. This is her career. I want to be a supportive guy. And and then I get there and I just failed. <laughs> you know, I gave myself the the pep talk like I'm going to be a good husband. I'm going to be a supportive husband. Because guess what? It kind of goes the other way when if the guy's work and he wants to support it, you know, I'm yeah. only I've only been successful in my career because my wife has been supportive of me. Right. As I'm traveling and she's watching the kids and running them to activities and things like that. Right. She supported me. I could not be more grateful. I am only a success because she has helped me and she is the woman that she is. And she's you know, we've been a good team. So yeah. I just completely failed when the shoe was on the other foot. I yeah, really did. Yeah. And I love the analogy. We go to the gym so we get stronger. Why not talk to somebody so we can get stronger in our marriage also? Like it's so simple, but yet we'll trip over ourselves time and time again, not asking for help or not admitting that we've got something going on, competence issue, that kind of thing. Yeah, I think level one is talk to your buddies about it. You know, that's why you want to build, you know, that that group of five or 10 that you can really trust. Say, hey, I'm struggling with this. Uh, That's kind of level one, right? And you you might just feel relief that other guys are going through similar issues and they might have some some lessons that they've learned that they can share with you. I, I think, you know, the counseling is like a level two or a level three, like, hey, this is deeper. I need a, I need a pro. I need somebody who can help facilitate, not just somebody who's going to provide medications. Please don't. My, my recommendation, don't go to those folks. If they're just prescribing something immediately, um, try to have a few conversations. I'm not saying there's not a place for that, but that should not be first response. <laughs> so let's pivot a little bit. Uh, you've had a couple like experiences within your own family with near death and, and possible death scenarios. Uh, a while back, I released a podcast about my brother and he almost died from COVID. You almost died of COVID this year. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A few months ago, I was hospitalized. I got sick. I got tested uh, for COVID. It came back negative the first week. And then um, uh, the next week, it kept getting worse. I got shortness of breath. Um, So it was in early August of of this year. And then I I, I couldn't breathe. So I went to the ER and they admitted me and I continued to uh, deteriorate. Was in ICU for two weeks. Um, oh my goodness! Uh, had uh, a lot of oxygen uh, pumped through my uh, through my lungs <laughs> and through my body, uh, trying to help uh, help help make sure I was safe. And the thing that makes me most tender is my wife had to call my three boys and say uh, we had the uh, uh, we had the ventilator conversation. I was uh, within a a breath, literally, of uh, going on a ventilator, which a I didn't want. B made me really angry. But yeah, my wife had to call my three boys and say, hey, this might be uh, something that's going to happen. And let's let's all make sure we agree on it. Were you able to think during this time? I mean, in a completely sincere way. I, I had uh, moments where I was very lucid on certain topics. 
and I had moments where I was a little bit uh, cloudy. Um, I had my wife and some friends advocating for me. We wanted to get some antibody treatments, some uh, vitamin therapy treatments, try to help boost the immune system, help my body do what it's capable of doing. Uh, they were advocating for that. We weren't uh, as successful as we wanted to be on that. We thought there's no harm. We thought it was a good idea. Um, I think there was an antibody shortage at the time. I don't, you know, I don't, so there was, I wasn't able to advocate because I really didn't understand a lot of the medicines that were uh, medications that were going right, on and things right. like that. Where I was lucid, Dan, I uh, was thinking a lot about my family. I won't say I was peaceful. I was peaceful for a lot of things. I was peaceful that we had built a, a kind of a stormproof life. I mean, we had all the, the legal documents of my, my wife knew what my desires were, mm -hmm, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. with the medical power of attorney. We had the, the wills done, the trust done. We had all of that done. Uh, we, we've just had a had a process that every time I have a birth day that's in my birth, my birth age is a five or a zero. We try to review the documents and update them and keep them fresh. So like for every five years. And so I felt my, my family was good hand in good hands. If, if something were to happen to me uh, emotionally, I'm very close with my family. I, I tell them I love them a lot. I was peaceful with that. I was peaceful with God. I'm peaceful with heaven. I did uh, write a letter to them uh, while I was uh, there and I said my goodbyes, you know, I said, Hey, this is what I want you to know. I think they know it, but I wanted to put it in writing for them. Uh, so I did that. So, and, and at the end of the day, I remember distinctly writing, you know, cause I do worry a lot about money. It's just something I had a lot of, uh, we lived paycheck to paycheck when I was younger. So I've, I've, I've worked on my relationship with money a lot and, and we're fine. I'm blessed to, blessed to be okay to be able to provide for my family and build a future. But I said, it's not about the money. It's all about family and friends. And, you know, that's what I kept writing every day. That's all that matters is my family and my relationship with God. Well, can you share some of the things you wrote in the letter to your kids? Well, I, I, I said, you know, I, I kind of started off like, hey, I know, you know, most many dads would say, you're the best kids, you're the best wife, right? And that felt generic to me. So I said, I, you know, a lot of dads would say that about their, their spouse and about their kids. But I said, I, I, I pressed into that and I said, this is the, and I learned this at a retreat. This is, I didn't use these words. This is the gold I see in you. This is the treasure. This is the value that I see in you. And I wrote to each of them what value it was, you know, specifically, you know, either whether it's their their tender heart and their care for others, whether it was their, you know, uh, their their work ethic, whether it was their uh, their faith. We all got baptized on the same. I got baptized as a as a baby in a Catholic church. But uh, about five years ago, uh, I made the decision to get baptized as an adult. I, I wanted to make the conscious choice on my own. And I just told the boys, I said, hey, I'm, I'm going to get baptized. I'd like you to be there. I want to celebrate with you. I'm getting emotional again. Uh, I go up to get in line and they just all line up right behind me. Mm. And so we all got baptized the same day. So they all have a heart of faith uh, that, they're, that they're working on. Are they perfect? No. I mean, they're in their early 20s. Their frontal lobe is not going to fully form until they're 25. Right. right. So, so, you know, when I was when I was in college, you know, priorities, I loved God, but my priorities were, were school, beer, and uh, watching college football, depending on, you know, those, those, those depended on whatever day it was, they would, they would shift, right? But they've got a heart for God. They're, they're on a path. And um, so I, I just tried to point out what I specifically loved and appreciated about each of them and that they were going to be okay because Father God's going to, he's, he's ahead of all of this, Right. If now's my time to go, I feel I've given you the best I can give. And so I had some peace with that. You know, was I perfect? Absolutely not. But I've given the best that I could as a human, as a fallible human. Yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. So we've got a guy that comes on the, the podcast from time to time, Blake Brewer, and he, he's got a legacy letter. So when I hear you say that, I'm like, there you are at the intense moment of not knowing if you've got another day in you and you're writing legacy letters to your kids. 
Yeah, I, I wrote that. And I write, uh, my youngest just turned 21, and I write them letters during transitional moments of their life. Like going to college, getting out of college, turning 21, I, I, you know, getting married. I try to write them letters uh, saying, hey, here's what the world looks like from my view of as your dad. I try to offer encouragement. I, offered, I try to offer it just exactly what I said, grace and truth. Hey, you're doing great. You made some mistakes, but you're loved. You're supported. And, uh, you know, try to give them some some pointers and things that I almost named my program stuff I wish my dad had said when I was young instead of my virtual dad. And sometimes I don't use the word stuff. I use yeah, the, yeah. the other S word. So I just try to have the heart of, okay, you're, you're, you're 24. You've been married for a year. What does the world look like for, from your shoes? And I try to meet them where they're at. So the first one I ever wrote was uh, 10 years old. I wrote them a, a blessing, you know, based on Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and, you know, the blessings of the father and how important that is. Took them through a little we called it a Christian bar mitzvah. It's called the squire and the scroll. And it was this story that's uh, kind of a coming of age uh, thing for boys, warning them about pornography and drugs and alcohol and things yeah. like that. And the culmination of that was to do this ceremony. We got a brave heart sword. It was kind of, it was awesome. It was fun. And publicly in front of family and friends and grandparents, we uh, say a blessing over the boy and how oh. important they are is one of the most gratifying things in my life. And I, again, I feel grateful. I just stumbled into it. A, a buddy of mine said, Hey, I heard about this. Let's do it. And so we got a group of like eight, eight, eight guys, uh, and eight dads and their boys and went through, it's like a 10 week thing. We'd meet together for an hour a week and, and learn a lesson and memorize some Bible verses and, and have some fun. That's awesome. That gives me chills. Like that is the coolest thing. I love that. Love that. Love that. So you also had the experience of your son almost dying. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, my middle son, Adam, he was uh, 18 years old. He's, uh, I say a high level hockey player. His goal is to play collegiate hockey. He was playing high level, getting ready to try out for a junior team. This was in the spring of, uh, uh, of one year. And uh, for those who are in the sport of hockey, um, we're a first generation hockey family. All three of my boys play, played hockey. He thought he, all the boys got sick throughout the year. They would just cough and have this nagging cough and sniffle and, you know, just being around the locker room and in the winter, they all got colds and it was kind of persistent throughout the hockey season. So he thought he was just having a cold, but he kept getting worse. He would skate and he would vomit after every skate. He would work out because they do a lot of lifting and strength training throughout the season as well. He couldn't do what he what he thought he could do. He went down and tried out for a, or he was working with a team down in Louisiana and uh, was asked to run, you know, a mile. And so he goes from altitude in Colorado down to sea level, and he couldn't run. And then this is what makes me sad. He, uh, it's that powerful thing. It's that incompetence and he didn't want to look weak in front of this new team he didn't tell anybody he didn't tell me and and my wife that he was having this deep of struggles he would say yeah I don't feel good but he didn't tell us the extent of it and trying to be a manly man almost killed him because we we thought he had pneumonia we took him to urgent care they they did a a, a quick uh, EKG and uh called 911 immediately he went to the hospital they tried to go in and kind of do the defibrillator but more invasive. They went up through the groin and tried to tr try to restart his heart. It didn't really restart Dan. And, uh, so his, his, uh, organs started shutting down his, uh, he started, uh, his skin color started changing. And, uh, that's when they said, Hey, we got to get him to another hospital. That's where we loaded him, you know, put him on the, on the, on the stretcher, took him out, loaded him on flight for life. I just remember looking through the window at him thinking, I might never, I might never see him again. Oh. And um, that is a pure God moment because they flew him to the one doctor in the state of Colorado who knew some technology. It's called an Impella device built by this company called Abiomed. It's essentially a propeller that goes into the heart and helps circulate the, the blood through your body. It's kind of like a spotter in the gym right? You can't lift all the weight yourself. Your heart can't pump all the blood it wants to. So this goes in and really helps circulate the blood. So he was the one doctor in Colorado who could, who, who used this technology. My son was the first one to ever get the, uh, the Impella in 
both his right and left side of his heart. Um, that had never been done before. Um, this doctor had been on maternity leave or paternity leave. I'm sorry. He had his first child and was out for like two, two and a half weeks. That was his first day back. Like three hours after he flew in flight for life, we had unbelievable windstorms and they wouldn't have let helicopters fly. There's just all of these God moments that came into that. We had, we had a team of, you know, all these friends, all this community that I had uh, become part of over the past 20 years. Those are the 2 a.m. friends, Dan. Called them all. They were all praying. They're all prayer warriors. We had people flooding to the hospital and just praying over my son. And uh, I just, it it could have so easily turned the other way. I actually wrote, he was in the hospital for about two weeks. He was in ICU, came through it. He's fine now. He's fine now. He's, He's going to college in the Northeast at Northeastern University in Boston. And now his passion, he wants to give back to the community that helped save his life. So he's got a life purpose now to give back uh, to to this community. But when he was in the hospital and we didn't know how it was going to turn out, I wrote his eulogy in my head. Mm. I couldn't couldn't bring myself to put it on paper because then I thought it would come true. But the punchline was if people would say, aren't you mad at God? He took your son when he was 18. And the conclusion is no, I would give anything for another day. How can I complain about 18 years with the son that I love? And I would just thank God for the 18 years but I couldn't be mad. I could be sad. I could be disappointed, but I couldn't be mad. I couldn't be angry with God. Even though God said it would be okay, God would invite me to be mad at him. I just couldn't do it. Wow. That would be an incredible position to be in sounds like a key thing was having that belief and faith in God, loving God. Sounds like your community that you've built around you over the years was a big part of your strength. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. The people that came in and when they could get in to see him, they'd put their hands on him and they'd pray over him. And so many people do that. And, uh, prayer chains going, uh, reaching out with people all over the world, praying, uh, praying for him. Um, I, I just hesitate. <laughs> I, I know there's families where it hasn't worked out and that's where my heart gets really, really tender, Dan. And that's why I think I was preparing for the worst because I know just be, I, I couldn't be mad just because God says he loves us. Our life is but a mist on this earth. We are but a, a speck of time over millions of years, right? Who knows when our time is to go? Who knows when our purpose is complete? And um, yeah, I mean, that'd be my encouragement to guys listening to this is have those, have those friends that uh, again, do know you, do love you, want what's best for you. That, that community was just so unbelievably supportive during that time. Um, we couldn't, and it wasn't about food and casseroles and things like that. It was, it was literally the prayer and the, the daily encouragement that they were sending to us. How are you, you said sending to you, how, how were they sending it to you? Uh, you know, a lot of it was just through the modern technology of texts and, and, um, you know, uh, stories we heard, <laughs> there, there's a couple of videos of this, uh, little, uh, uh, you know, like these five-year-old hockey players that Adam had helped, had helped coach. And, uh, and they made this video just doing this little cheer for Adam, uh, on the ice. One kid, uh, wrote a letter, colored a picture, uh, and stuck a hockey puck in an envelope, <laughs> 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 which cracked me up. I mean, it wasn't delivered through the mail. Somebody handed it to us, but, uh, just, just really, uh, touching and tender that he, that he stuffed a hockey puck in an envelope. Uh, we had people uh, uh, write 
uh, down all these healing uh, verses on a piece of paper and they would come and bring them by, you know, something just so we could, my wife and I, Deb, could, could read them. You know, again, a lot of texts, phone calls. I did a, uh, a caring bridge thing and I had so much interaction on that of, of writing stories, giving updates and uh, people would comment on that and, and give encouragement through that mechanism as well. So a lot of different avenues and we had people camped out in the hospital all day, every day for like two weeks. And we, we just set up a table and had food. It was like a big potluck. Yeah, when, t- when people have trouble and it gets out there a little bit, uh, sometimes I've heard people are hesitant to reach out, hesitant to send a text, hesitant to call, hesitant to show up. And it sounds like all of those different ways you welcomed and it helped you. We're not alone. Every, like I said, everybody's going to go through struggles like this at some point in time, right? Maybe not exactly the same flavor, but I, I do understand what you're saying. And, and my encouragement to others is reach out. What, what's the downside? It's like taking a vitamin, you know, there's, there's not a lot of downside to that. Right. 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 Reach out and you're going to get so much encouragement and support because people love you and people care for you. Mm. Wow. That's such a powerful story. Thank you for, uh, thank you for going there and going all the way to, where you're emotional and, and revisiting that. I know that wasn't maybe the easiest thing to do. I, I won't say I, uh, I told myself I wouldn't cry every time I think uh, I get, I get emotional every time I think about it. I can understand why. Yeah. I can understand why. So yeah, we go through tough times and we go through things and it helps, you know, the tough times are where we grow. Absolutely. The tough, you know, would I change some of the tough times? Uh, probably not is the conclusion I usually come to because yeah. I know, I think that's a tool God uses in different ways. He, he wants to make us uncomfortable. Otherwise we would just stay. We'd be stagnant. Mm-hmm. I believe that. So I've, 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 t- I've tried to welcome challenge because without it, I'm, I'm not going to move right. because I'm human. Right. Well, fantastic. Let's get this one. Uh, let's get this episode closed out. Have you got any additional thoughts that you want to share with the guys? And then as you know, since you're a, you're a listener of the podcast, we always finish out with a challenge for guys to go week to week, something they can accomplish. So any parting thoughts, words of wisdom? Words of wisdom. I'll, I'll do the challenge right now. I mean, I think what I would, uh, I would encourage uh, men to do if you're, if you're married, uh, do it with your spouse. If not, find a good friend sit down and ask them to tell you three things that they appreciate about you. And that's going to be hard to hear because we all like to deflect and kind of say, Oh yeah. Ah, you know, that's, that's just something I do or whatever, but really genuinely receive that work on receiving that. And the next question is ask, because you care about me, what are three things you would change if you could not three things you don't, you gotta, you gotta word that very carefully, right? (laughs) Not three things that you don't like about me, but because you love me, what are three things that you would change about me if you could? So it's a, what I do is I've done this with um, uh, my wife. I've done it with my boys. I did it a couple of years ago. I need to do it again. I'm going to accept my own challenge and do it here uh, before the end of the year. And I think that's going to open your eyes to some things. It'll fill you up because you're going to see what they truly do appreciate about you. And second, it's going to give you a little bit of homework, right? Uh, when I did it first time with my wife and boys, they told me I was angry. And Dan, that was an eye opener. I wasn't angry growing up like I did. I would never, never be physically harmful to anybody. But my anger came out, I call it exasperation, like, you know, ah, you know, I don't know, ran out of propane on the on the gas grill, right? You know, trying to make dinner, something silly like that. I would just get too exasperated too often. And I just needed to take a breath and 
and just relax a little bit. I was going through a career transition at the time. My, 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 my kids and my wife were graceful with me. They thought it was just work stress, but there was more to it than that. And this is about the time I went to that retreat when I was about age uh, 50. So all of this culminated uh, together and it really opened my eyes. And since then, my wife has said, you are so much more relaxed. You're so much more emotionally available. And it's, it's been a blessing, just that little exercise. So I took each of them out to breakfast and, and asked them individually what those, uh, I was, you always got to bribe with food, you know, yeah, or, yeah. or something, but, uh, that's the challenge I'd give to men. Oh, I love that. I love that. And then add on top of that, the one-on-one time with each individual family member, like that's yep. great. Yeah. Yeah. What an awesome challenge. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you, Jay. I appreciate you coming on. And I know guys are going to be interested in my virtual dad. How can they, how can they reach out to you? Uh, Dan, I'm going to give you a link that you can put in your notes uh, just for uh, the journey of a Christian dad listeners, access to a couple of uh, free resources, learn a little bit more about me and the programs. Uh, so uh, there will be a link there. You can reach out or you can look at myvirtualdad.net is the, uh, the website. And uh, you can send me an email directly. It's uh, J J A Y at myvirtualdad.net. Fantastic. And I look forward to uh, getting the links to the free resources as well. And I'll drop those in, uh, in the show notes. You bet. All right. Thank you so much, Jay. I appreciate it a bunch. And thank you guys for listening. Thanks you for the Apple podcast reviews. And then also thanks for sharing with your buddies to help them also become the best dads, husbands, fathers, Christians that they can be. So thank you again. Appreciate all of you. Appreciate you too, Jay. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to this episode of the journey of a Christian dad podcast. Thank you guys for being a light, shine that light out and let others see it with you guys. Part of this community, it helps me be accountable to you guys. Helps me be accountable to myself be accountable to God and Jesus. Hope you appreciated this episode and picked up some great things. Hope you like the challenge and hope you can execute on that challenge this week. I ask of you, please subscribe, share the show with others, join us inside of the journey of a Christian dad on Facebook, inside our private community. Share that community with others, have your buddies join, have other dads that are looking to grow in their faith grow as spiritual leaders of their family. As we engage in our journey and be intentional with it, we can help others grow theirs as well. We thank you again for listening. We thank you for all your reviews. Look forward to reading a review of yours on a future show. So, dear God, thanks for blessing all of us and thanks for drawing us closer to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Have fun, guys.